Hello and welcome back to a very special edition of the KI Prime podcast because in this episode I am speaking to the winner of the Karolinska Prize for Research in Medical Education for 2022, Professor Kevin Eva. Kevin is Associate Director and Senior Scientist in the Centre for Health Education Scholarship and Professor and Director of Educational Research and Scholarship in the Department of Medicine at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. He's also Editor-in-Chief of the journal Medical Education. Kevin's research is diverse. It's impacted on medical school admissions by introducing multiple mini-interviews as a rigorous process with which to select trainees based on their interpersonal skills. And I am delighted to get to chat to him today. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks so much. It's uh, great to be back in this building with a lot of very fond memories of 2022, of course. Well, it was this time last year that it was announced that you'd won the prize. So we were here, we were at the at, at KI with the 2021 fellows. And the just the sense in the room when everybody heard that you'd won was so wonderful. It was so warm. People cheered. It was such a lovely moment. It went, have you heard, have you heard that Kevin won? What was it like for you? Uh, well, you're actually giving me tingles just saying that because uh, obviously it was, it was an incredible honor and, and humbling. And you know, look at the people who've come before me and, and so many others in the world who are equally or more deserving. You know, it, it uh, always brings uh, that, that feeling of uh, uncertainty as to whether or not you're the right person to go forward. But you know, your, your description of, of the response is really just a sign that this is such a warm, supportive, incredible community that I, I just feel incredibly fortunate to have found, let alone had some degree of success in. I think what you just said there, Kevin, really sums up the medical education research community is that humbleness and that support. So they are having having won the prize <laughs> last year. And they, oh, you know, I'm not sure whether I'm the right person. And I kind of get that sense from everyone. But I think it's that sense of of humbleness and support and community that is really pushing medical education research forward. Uh, you, you must love working in this field. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I, I genuinely believe that people come to this field because they care about helping other people. You know, the, the, the definition of education is, is trying to you know, help others grow in whatever way they're, they're trying to grow. And so for, for such a large community to come together with that as their sort of foundational assumption and, and, and you know, to still be able to do uh, good and important work uh, with that um, sense of collaboration and cooperation, I think is quite unique in the world. Where did it all start for you? Where did your passion start for medical education? Uh, like just about everybody that you talk to in this field, it started with a chance happening. Actually, I was uh, studying biology and a bit of psychology, but I was planning a degree in, in genetics after my bachelor's. And in my final year, I happened to take a course called psychological measurements. And the professor who was filling in for a sabbatical professor used a lot of examples from medical education. So I just had this, again, just dumb luck uh, exposure uh, to the field and liked the course, uh, liked the material, but was planning grad work um, in it as a result. And so I went to talk to the professor about a program I was contemplating and he said, no, no, if you, if you want to be in this field, go get a PhD in cognitive psychology. And so that five-minute conversation just completely, you know, redirected my my path and and changed my life. Yeah. Who were some of the the early mentors for you who helped you get to to where you are today? Yeah. So I had the, again the great fortune of being a McMaster uh, for my training, and so 
Uh, Jeff Norman is you know, one of the previous winners as well. He was definitely um, you know, the, the core who helped me understand medical education and, and help prepare me. Uh, Lee Brooks was my graduate supervisor, um, a world-renowned cognitive psychologist who studied um, categorization processes. And you know, those were my sort of two formal trainers, so to speak. And and beyond that, again, as, I, as I've already alluded to, you know, it's just, you know, I feel... Like it has really been a village that raised this child because uh, uh, you know, the the number of people, well, my senior, who were just completely open to conversation and and offering insight and, and anything I ever could have asked for, uh, just you know, far too many to name. I found through working on this podcast over the last three years and meeting so many people from the medical education community that there is that tremendous support and mentorship. I get the sense that it's even more so in Canada. And I just wondered your thoughts because so many of so many of the winners <laughs> have come have come from Canada. If you look yeah, at if you look yeah. at people who've won over the years, yeah. um, it's probably about two thirds have come from Canada. So being in that environment, what do you think that you're doing that works so well? Uh, so I think it's a variety of things. Um, uh, and again, I, I, I've only ever worked in Canada, so I can't say uh, that it's necessarily uh, well. Certainly, can't say it's better or different in in particular ways. But but my perception of of what has made Canada so successful is uh, that first of all, it's been a, a long-term commitment um, to this field. So, you know, centers so like the one I work in now started popping up you know, 30, 40 years ago. It is a system where uh, we as faculty are paid a salary to do the work that we do. So we're not dependent on going out and chasing grant money just to keep ourselves fed. Uh, we can actually concentrate uh, on the work. Um, it's a relatively small community so it's easy to get to know others and and uh, really form connections across uh, you know all degrees of seniority so you can get the mentorship that you need whether it's in your institution uh, or not and it again doesn't hurt that with only 17 medical schools across the country once a school gets a reputation for being strong in a particular area some of the other schools start looking at that and saying well what are they doing and how do we do it differently and how do we start building some of those things? So it's created a, a system where we're, again, quite a supportive uh, community, uh, while at the same time being able to to look at what others have that, that can serve as models to, to build it in places that it hasn't had as uh, long a history. Mm. I'd love to spend a bit of time just talking about your research, which, which got you here. And, and as I said at the beginning, it's diverse. What have been the particular areas that you've been most passionate about? Yeah, so I, at this point, consider myself a bit of a generalist. I, I definitely get involved in a lot of different uh, topics, partly, uh, again, because of wanting to support others to do the things that they're really passionate about. Uh, the stuff that I would identify as uh, you know, being my research area, to no surprise, given my training in cognitive psychology, uh, continues to focus around issues of judgment. Uh, how do we improve decision making in one way or another for the sake of better education and and in turn for the sake of better care? Uh, and so as as you already mentioned, you know that ranges from how do we select students in better ways through how do we teach diagnostic reasoning, through how do we determine whether or not people have you know the right set of competencies and 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 what do we expect of individuals in terms of self-judgment to to continue to regulate their own practice? Mm-hmm. Um, and so those, Research areas of clinical reasoning, self-assessment, admissions, they, 
they come and go over the years in terms of how much I'm focused on them at any given time, but but they're always sort of churning along at one level or another and been very fortunate to work with a, a wide array of people to try to keep pushing some of those ideas forward. Yeah. Have there been any light bulb moments, any of those moments that you just went, oh my gosh, you know, that was pivotal? A variety of them. In fact, every every um, program of research, I suppose, would, would be a different story in that regard. Um, but given that you started by mentioning the admissions work that it did, um, the the pivotal moment there was recognizing that that we all come to every decision we make with our own personal backgrounds, personal experiences. And as a result, trying to train a large number of interviewers uh, or, or assessors of other types to do things consistently in the way that we often you know, strive for standardization, objectivity, and all those things that are, are just impossible to achieve on, on that scale. The, the realization was instead of trying to remove people's own experiences that lead to their own biases, uh, that we actually just need to gather more data from a wider array of people and let the diversity of their own perspectives uh, come together to to aggregate into something that will be more meaningful than any one person's judgment. Uh, and then again, that observation has then filtered into a number of other aspects of my work where, where we're trying to appreciate that it's the it's the collective that that you know provides value to judgment rather than any one process or any one uh, means of, of trying to encourage people to go through uh, a particular decision. Yeah, it's very lovely in the world that you work in and we're having this discussion over the last few days is that you have that moment that then go, oh, aha, and then it kind of leads you somewhere else and it leads you in a, in a different direction. So where are you Where are you heading at the moment? Yeah, um, as I get more senior in this field and, and more of my work becomes around trying to you know, support others and, and you know, prioritizing you know, their research interests over mine, I certainly hope to continue some of the work that I've, I've been describing, um, but I find myself being dragged to, uh, willingly, uh, but, but nonetheless being being dragged into areas that that I never would have uh, you know, anticipated focusing on myself. So, um, doing some work currently on uh, trying to help better understand the experiences of uh, trainees when they um, are are encountering moral distress because they just can't do for one reason or another what they believe they should actually be doing. Uh, Derek Chang's a, a family physician who's uh, leading that work um, with me in UBC. Um, other timely issues, Valerie Starnova is focusing on how you know the change to virtual care has just impacted every aspect of um, uh, physician competence and uh, how it's is leading people to have to to try to find uh, ways of adapting to the the challenges of our, our current environment and. Um, you know, again, within all that, still very much interested in, in trying to better understand uh, how we regulate ourselves and, and, and use that to, to you know, keep trying to build towards um, a, a culture of ongoing reflection, on, ongoing efforts to, to really question, am I performing as well as I believe I am? And am I performing as well as I could be? And and how do how do we make sure that we we as a as a full community are are sort of engaged in a you know, lifelong learning um, activities rather than than just trusting that you know, once you've got that competence stamp you're good to go. Yeah, I believe you're one of the youngest. I think you are the youngest person to win the prize. 
I believe that's true. I think I think you are. I was just trying to work it out. And given that, what changes have you seen since the start of your career? What have been some of the the key changes that you've noticed in in the field? Yeah. So I think the first thing that comes to mind uh, is that diversity issue again. I believe the reason I got the advice I got to go into cognitive psychology to get a PhD is that back then it was the dominant discipline. You know, obviously the field of medical education came out of medicine, so it came out of a bit of a biomedical model. But it really started to thrive, I think, when when cognitive psychology came into it and people started applying um, you know, rigorous, theoretically grounded studies to the the uh, practical issues that, that the field's concerned about. But if I were to be in the exact same situation now, I can imagine the advice would be, you know, choose a discipline and go get a you know, dedicated period of study uh, where you can you know, get the skills and, and background to, to apply those uh, ideas to, the, to medical education. Um, because I look around, my friend group includes you know, kinesiologists and rhetoricians and anthropologists and sociologists and you know, obviously other psychologists and you know, just, about, just about any area of academia has a place in medical education. And so... And just that understanding and, and, and desire to be open to conversations from other angles um, uh, is, is very different. And I think it's strengthened the field considerably as a result. Yeah, for sure. I also wanted to ask you, don't know how you have the time to do all of this, Kevin, but you are editor-in-chief of the journal Medical Education. I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on on academic writing I know that a lot of people coming, you know, new into the field is one of the things they struggle with. Um, how do I get? How do I get published? So, I just wondered, you know, your thoughts on on writing. Yeah. So it's again a skill in of itself, and you know, just like performing an EKG or reading an EKG, you, it takes dedicated practice. And, and I think people often get frustrated because, uh, you know, we've we've all written things for school. Uh, regardless of what one trained in. And, and so it feels like something that we should be able to just do naturally, but, but there's definitely a, a skill set and a lot of learning to do. In that regard, I think the, the most important piece of advice I could provide to uh, people who are trying to um, develop that skill is, is to you know, always keep who you're writing for in mind. You know, just like you know, when you're communicating in front of an audience, you, you need to tell them what they need to hear, not what you want to tell them. Uh, and so in writing, medical education as a journal has a particular niche where we're trying to promote conceptually grounded research that has uh, practical relevance. And, and in a very general sense, all levels of training, international, uh, other journals are, are more specific to uh, a particular place or a particular specialty or a particular point in time even. And and so they're going to be looking for very different things um, in in the the writing that's being produced, and and uh, part of it is just you know finding the right fit for for the work, meaning not chasing journals because they have the highest impact factor, but but choosing your journals based on where you think the people are that that would best be served by the the work that you have to offer. Do you have any thoughts on the rise of AI? Chat GPT. Yeah, lots of them, <laughs> as I'm sure everybody does. Um, I, th- I think it's is already and is obviously going to improve in terms of how well it can support us in our writing. You know, I'm, I'm already using it to support students by doing things like entering text into it and saying, 
improve upon this prose and and seeing what it gives back is um not not to take it at face value or to use it necessarily exactly as it comes back but as a way of enabling some of that deliberate practice that i was just alluding to and thinking about well do i prefer the way it said things or did it change the meaning in some important way but as an editor what i'm what i'm most hopeful about is that it will actually start to uh, reduce some of the barriers for people in this world to for whom english isn't their first language uh, it's always difficult for us to to judge the quality of work when the quality of the english isn't as strong as it should be uh, we do our best to look past that and try to focus on on the content rather than the the style but you know inevitably it it you know, changes the way you, you read things and so as ai gets better i'm hopeful that it will it will you know enable people to to you know say things in their voice and have them effectively translated into english so that so that those things are are uh, going to be th- those opportunities to publish in our journals will be more accessible yeah Looking at the other side of it, and we've been having conversations around this, not just here, but but with 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 other people as well recently, is that there is the temptation, perhaps, with the AI to let it do all the work. Mm-hmm. And it, from an editor perspective, are you are you able to see when you that you think that was written by a robot and not by a human? Uh, so far, it's clear. Again, <laughs> these things are getting better and better, passing the Turing test. So I, I'm not sure it will always be that way, but yeah. um, I. I I strongly encourage people to use it and to keep in mind that it's a tool. You know, it, it, it can't do the work for them. Internationally, journal editors have come to the consensus that it makes no sense to call ChatGPT an author because it can't take accountability for the work. And, and so you know, it's important for people to keep in mind that it's your name that's on the paper. And as academics, all we really have at the end of the day is our reputation. And so if you're, if you're putting things out with your name on it, that don't you know, actually reflect what you believe and, and what you should be saying to the community, and that's going to be problematic in the long term. Um, and at the moment, again, the the technologist isn't able to actually think in the way that we commonly imagine when we use the phrase artificial intelligence. It's just looking probabilistically at words, and and so um, it's not it's not generating ideas, even though it seems quite smart when it can give a really cohesive and, and insightful answer within seconds. Yeah, very, very good advice. And just saying with, with that thought of, of advice, part of this, the background of doing the podcast, part of having the fellowship program is to encourage and inspire the next generation of medical education researchers and perhaps the next person who's going to win the prize. So what would be your advice for people new into the field or perhaps people thinking, I would love to be like Kevin one day. <laughs> I, I hope people have better goals than that. But uh, nonetheless, um, I guess consistent with the things I've been saying already, I think the, the first thing is uh, you don't chase a research area because you think it's the hot topic or because other people have told you it's important. Um, your research is very difficult. And to, to put in the time that you need to do to truly understand the domain, even before you're able to contribute to it effectively, um, it takes so much effort that unless you're truly passionate about it, it's it's going to crumble at some point along the way. So, so first thing is you know, choose your topics based on your interests. Um, and then second is to, again, just be deliberate about finding some mentorship. Um, if you don't have it locally, I don't think I've ever reached out to anybody in our field, even as a graduate student, before I had any sort of name recognition. 
uh, I reached out to some of the you know the biggest names in the field with a question, just cold call email, and and I think every single one of them replied uh, in one way or another. You know, they don't always have the answer, but but just about everybody will universally try to get you a little bit closer. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 so people are often reticent to do that; they feel intimidated. But uh, again, that's we've all had that support from others, and and everybody that I work with is more than happy to pay it forward. Yeah. Kevin, thank you so much for speaking to me today and congratulations again on the prize and all the best for whatever you're doing in the future. Thanks, it was a great pleasure.